Well, hello and welcome to Growing Up with Papa. My name is Jason Ashley and I'm your host and Papa to about a dozen of the best kids in the world. We'll be tackling everything from bullfrogs to nursing home residents and talking about all the stuff that we've learned along the way. So if you're all grown up, then well, you know how important it is during the quiet alone times in your life to be to be able to be happy with who you are and have a peace with decisions that you've made. And you might know how tough it is to live with shame and scars because, well, you didn't have somebody to help point you in the right direction. Well, it takes a lot of love and some heavy-duty, hands-on commitment to help point kids in the right direction. And we hope you get on board and enjoy this wild ride we call Growing Up with Papa. Whoa, hey, ho, hey, there we are right now, squeezing in another episode of Growing Up with Papa. Man, I'm telling you, this is getting to be hard work. My wife says that I'll try to make everything into a production. I didn't really take that as a bad thing. So I'm jumping in here on a day before it's supposed to come out, squeeze in a podcast. Ain't got no youngins to interview, don't have anything to, <clears throat> any special recordings, but We've got a good episode, I think. We're going to talk about some cool stuff, Bible quizzing. Yep, Bible quizzing. We're going to hit Bible quizzing hard and heavy, and I'm going to convince you it's the best thing since sliced bread and boiled potatoes. I'm telling you, it is phenomenal. But first, let me give you a little trapping update. I don't know what we released in Miles Joy whenever we put him in on this trapping business. But he is turned into a critter-catching monster. That rascal is smoking the world. I told him if he made a 1,000 points by the end of this competition, May the 1st, he was going to get an extra super-duper special, sure enough, extra mystery prize that nobody knows what it is. But he's at like 960 points with two days left. So y'all think Miles will be able to pull it off? He probably will. That possum-catching rascal, he's caught. I went back and kind of counted up best I could. Nine possums, a fox, four mice, four coons, two squirrels, and a wildcat, and probably some stuff that I missed in there, with 900-and-something points. And for the first couple of weeks, he wasn't even ahead. But Bud, when he cranked it in gear, he, he stomped it and took off. Oh, Big John's been intrigued in uh hunting arrowheads here lately i don't know who gave him the notion or idea where he heard it from but we have been scouring the ground looking and checking out every bald spot on every dirt road and every clearing because he's trying to find an arrowhead now i have found a bunch in the past and we're going to do an episode talking about artifacts Indian artifacts and the, the cool things involved in hunting them and looking for them and the, the different types and things. So y'all stay tuned for that one because Big John is eat up with hunting arrowheads right now. He still ain't found one. He's found some chips and some that looked almost like an arrowhead, but he's not quite found that arrowhead yet that he's looking for, his very first one. And, uh, oh, I finished Tristan and Gabe's turkey fans now they turned out pretty good so you ought to go follow those guys on instagram and make them post a picture of it because Paul's taxidermy might get a little bit of publicity here if they'll do it 
But Gabe Farrington, you can look him up. I think he's got an Instagram account and a Facebook and tell him to post a picture. And Tristan Robinson, I've done some exclusive personal hand-carved etching on uh, on both of them. So it turned out pretty neat. Now, let's talk about what me and Sister Kim did last weekend. Me and Mama Bandit went to a Bible quiz tournament in Lake Charles. This is our third, fourth one for the year. Now, what we do in Bible quizzing is I'm the South Central Region Beginner Division Quiz Master. And it is so much fun. I have all these beginner Bible quizzing teams that just show up, and they're in my division. I get to ask those rascals a bunch of questions, and they get to hit a buzzer and answer them and get points and trophies and candy and all kind of fun stuff. We have a lot of fun in the beginner division. And, oh, I had a beautiful little girl and her sister that come to me, and they just love this podcast, and I was going to give them a shout out. They are one of my favorite girls on the planet. Cece and Tessa Ragsdale from Lake Charles are some Bible quizzing machines, and they love this podcast. They know the names of our grandkids by listening, and they said they wish they could listen every day. So that's almost too much for me to put out one a day, but they're very special girls with an amazing family, an amazing church. We were at their church last Saturday for the Bible quiz tournament. Lake Charles, Louisiana, a very awesome place. So I'm going to talk about today what Bible quizzing is and why you should be involved in Bible quizzing as an adult or if you're younger than 18 years old, you need to be right in the middle of Bible quizzing. It is something that will blow your mind. It is uh, just so amazing. Let me, let me give you this statistic that has been passed around in the Bible quizzing circle for many years. And they say this. Somebody done the research, and they said that approximately 90% of Bible quizzers who quiz at least three years stay in church for the rest of their life. Think about that. 90% who quiz at least three years will stay in church for the rest of their life. Now, I don't know the percentages of people who, just everyday people who are raised up in church that stay, but it's way less than 90. And of that 10% who do leave the church, they say approximately 70% eventually return. So that's a 97% success rate. It's hard to beat those odds. Bible quizzing works. And why does it work? It's not the system. It's not the... Uh, the game, the competition, the trophies, it's not the memories, but it is It is 100% ingesting the Word of God and getting God's Word, the living Word of God inside your heart. And it's a seed that's planted that continues to grow and changes the person that is inside. It's just unreal. There's so many people that became preachers and pastors that started off Bible quizzing. You can do it at a young age. I've seen quizzers do it that weren't even able to read. You get to travel with friends to quizzes and stay in hotels. And you, you get to be involved in tournaments and meet other friends every month, that Bible quiz, get trophies and medals and ribbons and recognition in front of the church. And your church is just going to be so excited. So 
What is Bible quizzing exactly? It's every year they have a publication that they send out approximately for the senior division around 500 verses that are predetermined. And so they put these verses to memory and somewhere around 300 or 350 for a junior division, 12 and under. So these kids study these verses to a point that it is unreal how well they know them just inside and out. And they show up once a month and compete against one another. I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. It's not about the competition. It's fun and way win trophies and they're doing it to win. But if they could back up and see the big picture, what we see as adults and leaders and teachers and quiz masters and parents and pastors, what it's really doing is out of this world. It's unreal. If we could see the long-lasting effect of Bible quizzing on these children, it's a whole lot more than just the trophies. So it usually starts about January and goes all the way through uh, June, and we'll have our final, our national finals in July at peak, and it's a big, big deal. So much work and organizations involved in this. So how does this work? Why does this work? Why does this? Why is this so awesome? And it just keeps people for so long. Well, according to John chapter one, you cannot separate God from His Word. The Word was God. The Word is God. And so, when we put the Word of God in our heart, we put God Himself in there. So that's the main objective of Bible of Bible quizzing is to inundate the quizzer with the Word of God. The earthly rewards, the trophies and stuff are just a byproduct. And our children need something like this in our life. Matter of fact, I can't think of anything that would be greater in developing them and teaching discipline and self-discipline and keeping them pointed in the right direction greater than Bible quizzing. Now, it takes work. It takes discipline. It takes pushing. But you think about this. Nobody just is naturally inclined to just make themselves go in there and study and excel in a certain area. You have to push them. And it may seem like you're being hard on them or it's rough or it's you being a, a mean parent or something. But think about it like this. Brother Charles Williams used this analogy several years ago at a quizzing convention. And I remember he said that your children don't want to brush their teeth. If they had their way, they wouldn't take a bath very much. They wouldn't They wouldn't brush their teeth when they're young. But you push them because you know it's what's right and what's best and what's going to be the correct outcome with their hygiene. So look how much more effective spiritually it is than many other things that we push them into. We make sure our children brush their teeth every day. Why not make sure your child studies the Word of God every day? Now, if you don't brush your teeth every day, it's a pretty good chance you're going to have bad breath and they're going to fall out one of these days. But, hey, you can live through that and you can still go to heaven like that. But if you don't ever get the Word of God in your heart, if you never get God inside of you, there's no chance for you, buddy. So it's so much more important than anything else that we do. Find a kid. Get them involved in Bible quizzing. Whoa, Boots, when you hear that sound, that means it's time for hair and a biscuit. That's right, just a little something you wasn't expecting that we're going to pull out and check out before we go any further. 
All right, get ready, Boots. Here we go. Hair and a biscuit. Now, for a hair and a biscuit today, I want to tell you about a phenomenon. We like that word around here. Now, I do some taxidermy work on the side, and so I make plaques out of usually pine lumber that we cut at our sawmill, and we run through our workshop, our wood shop, through the planers and routers, and slick it up real good. But I've developed a little method that looks really good. Instead of staining the wood or, or putting a color on it, I'll take a torch, and I'll take that wood, and I'll pass that torch over the wood, and there's places on that wood that will char and turn black and dark, and there's other places that just remains the same. So the wood grain in that wood turns into a striped-looking, really neat piece of wood, and then I'll, I'll put some really shiny stuff on it, and it just glows, and it looks really cool. But I'm going to tell you about why some of it chars and turns black and why some of it don't. Now, you see, every tree is made up of growth rings. So if you're looking at the end of a log, you're looking at circles, and each circle represents a year. Now, you have a light-colored circle that's usually wider. It's lighter in color, and it's thicker. And then you have a little thin, dark-colored circle. Now, what that is, the lighter color is the summer growth that that tree went through that year. So when it grew, it had plenty of water, it had plenty of sunshine, it grew more. That's the light-colored growth. And then when it got to the wintertime, it's still growing, but it slowed way down. And it only grew a little bit, but it's darker and it's harder. And when you cut it up, the summer growth is what turns dark when you pass the fire over it. It submits to that flame, and it turns colors, and it, it changes the summer growth. But the winter growth, the one that developed through hardships, it took a lot of work and effort to grow that winter time. It was so hard and so established and so strong that the fire didn't damage it. It didn't touch it. It didn't affect it. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Now, it's the same way in our lives. Hardships and hard times, now, the growth that comes through that is something that is strong and something that's going to stay with us. And it's going to be unaffected by the, the flames and the fiery darts. But when we don't have hardships and we just live in life and everything's good, we got plenty of sunshine and plenty of water, we're just existing and lapping everything up. It's easier to be affected by the fiery darts. Living for God easy is hard, but living for God hard is easy. Hey, here's some resources that I want you to look up, see if you can find. I have them on a hard drive that I got somewhere I could share them with you if, if, if you have access to me physically, but uh, a couple of CDs, a couple of preaching CDs that will impact your life and one of them is called Hide the Children, and it was preached by uh, Brother Scott Graham. And it tells about a lady named Jehoshabeth who took it upon herself to hide a child for six years from Athaliah, who had all the king's sons killed. Now, she preserved this king's seed by hiding Joash from the evil that was trying to destroy him. So he turned it around and showed us that we as parents and Coaches and teachers are playing the same role. We're hiding our children 
our offspring, our heritage, the king's children from the world that's trying to destroy them. And if we just sit idly by like the rest of the world, there's going to be so much loss. We're going to suffer in our future. We are hiding and protecting and equipping our children by doing this. Oh, and another good sermon that I know of that talks about the heritage of our children is The Sure Mercies of David by Brother Larry Booker. He talks about the importance of living for God for your family's sake. And he uses some, some historical data, some statistics from a couple of families who had pretty much opposite morals and values. Now, he points out the biblical fact of the mercies of God towards several people because of David and his faithfulness to him. Now, the mercies of God, he points out, is going to trickle down through several generations, but the wrath of God will as well. So our main objective, anybody in the kingdom of God, is to enhance his kingdom and, and to bring him glory by helping others to be the best they can be. So Bible quizzing is that. Not just at a team level, but a church, an organization, a complete bride of Christ is empowered whenever we get more people involved and in depth as as Bible quizzing is. There's a little deal that comes along with any type of competition, and we see it in, in lots of areas a lot of times, and I want to address that real quick. Everybody has an inclination to be competitive, to be better than somebody else, to kind of dominate or be the best, to be on top, and that's an urge that we have to control in daily life, period, not just in Bible quizzing or whatever, but to put it in perspective, my role, I'm a musician, and I want to be the best musician I can be, but I want to make the music sound as appealing as possible. I played with people of all levels, from terrible old men in jam sessions in the nursing home to just elite musicians on stage somewhere. So my goal has to be that everything that I play fits into the song as seamless as possible to help everything, all the instruments sound like one voice. I might know the exact way to play it, where to soften, where to emphasize, where, how the dynamics of the song go. But if I do it stubbornly and play it like, well, this is the way you're supposed to be, and I don't try to get everybody else involved in my playing, then it's going to be a big mess. So if I don't listen to the other ones and, and listen to their tempo and listen to their notes and try to make everything flow together, and I have the attitude of, well, when you get to where I am, then we're going to have a song that it's like it's supposed to be, then it's just going to be an unsuccessful mess where nobody looks good. And even the accomplished musician who knows how to play is going to look bad. Now, I read an article several years ago that got me thinking in a lot of ways, and it got me questioning any type of competition in my life or in, in the, the church. And it was a very well-written article. It made you really think. But he was dead against competition of any sort. And... A lot of the things that he says, I'm going to just kind of tell you what I remember about it. He pointed out that that Jesus is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. He is the firstborn. He is everything. He is, should be first in our lives above uh, anything else. We're to, to exalt him and submit to him. And nobody should be superior to another person in any other way. And we're all equal. And he pulled out a lot of scripture and talks about that. 
And he says also that the spirit of competition originated from Satan himself. He pulls a scripture from Isaiah where uh, Lucifer said he would exalt himself above the throne and he would be greater than God. And that's where actually the spirit of self-exaltation comes from. It's climbing over your, your brother or your sister, getting above somebody else. And he brought it to earth and kind of spread it around. And it creates this spirit of competition that has wrapped the world's mind up in, in sports and in so many things that spirit of competition just rules this world. I struggle. I'm going to tell you, I struggle trying to figure out how to fit this in our lives because I know for a fact that competition has a place in every person's life. It makes us stronger. You can take a tree and plant it by itself in a field without competition, without having to compete against another tree for sunlight, for soil, nutrients, or whatever. And it's not going to make, it's not going to be tall. It's not going to be worth a lot. It's going to be have limbs from top to bottom. It's just going to be short and stubby and it's just, just going to live whatever it takes to survive. But if you have a lot of trees that are competing with one another against one another for sunlight and for nutrients, then they're going to grow straight and tall and they're going to be reaching for that, trying to be the next one to get that sunlight above the other. And it winds up making trees that are taller, straighter, stronger trees because of competition. We can apply that in our lives. I use this with our kids in our trapping games, in our games that we do and play among each other. We're always, the reason I'm doing that is to develop not a spirit of self-exaltation in them, not a spirit of being better than their cousin or being better than their brother or sister, but to develop skill sets and abilities to be able to use those for the good of all, for the good of the group, for the good of a church, for the good of uh, to make better people out of them. Now, I know you can take that spirit and you can lift it up, but here's when you boil it down, here's what I say competition is all about. At the end of the day, competition should bring everyone together that's involved and unify them. People with the same objective and, and like causes should unite after competition. Now, if it doesn't, and sometimes it don't, if it separates and causes division between people, right, it's not right. The root is evil, and it, it should be done away with. Because competition is about self-control, intentional motives. Self-exaltation is never right in any situation, but self-denial and self-discipline is always healthy in a person. Self-discipline creates a better person who can direct their exemplary differences toward they're so much better, they're greater because of their self-discipline to reach higher goals, not for the defeat of others, but for the overall increase of a greater body. And we can use that in a church so much. We see better musicians, better singers. So if you're wondering what I think about competition, that's that's what I think. Every child, boy, girl, everyone needs something. My, my pastor Zach Wells says this. Every boy needs something to conquer. He needs a, a coon to catch in a trap or a frog to catch on a riverbank or something to uh, to overcome. And that, that's a part of this trapping deal. And every girl, every girl needs a 
to be able to take something that's not developed and not not neat and in a, a strewn situation and develop it into a something that's uh, that's better. Whoa, 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 hold on there a minute, boots. When you hear that sound, that means we're fixing to kick open the feed barrel and dig around a little bit, because there's more in there than just horse feed. Hey, for our horse feed today, I want to read a quote from the book When a Man's a Man by Harold Bell Wright. Now, Harold Bell Wright was an author that wrote several awesome books. One of my pastor's favorite authors, he wrote uh, Shepherd of the Hills, Calling of Dan Matthews. But this book, When a Man's a Man, this excerpt I made a note of and put it in my phone. I want to read it right now. It says, Gethsemane, said the dean to me once, when our talk had ranged wide and touched upon many things. Gethsemane ain't no place. It's something that happens. Whenever a man goes up against himself, right there is where Gethsemane is. And right there, too, is sure to be a fight. A man may not always know about it at the time, and he may be too busy fighting to understand just what it all means, but he'll know about it afterwards. No matter which side of him wins, he'll know afterwards that it was the one big fight. So with all that being said, let me read y'all a few statistics from last week's Bible quizzing tournament in Lake Charles. Some awesome Bible quizzers. I'm gonna, I tell you what, I'm going to tell you the top 10 scoring beginner Bible quizzers in Lake Charles last week. Listen up. If you was there Turn your ears on because you fix to get to hear your name. The 10th place scoring quizzer with 28.9 projected points per game from Jennings, Louisiana, Levingston. Oh, yay. I'm telling you, I like that guy. He is awesome. Oh, this is my sweet little girl right here. Beautiful. A podcast following girl right here. 32.143 points per game from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Tessa! And her sister, right on top of the 33 points per game, CC Ragsdale. And my buddy from North Little Rock, 40.2 points per quiz. Kaplan Flint. Oh, and this beautiful girl right here that likes to take selfies with me because I got them on my iPad right here. 50 points per quiz. Lake Charles, Louisiana. Lily Dickinson. And my pal, he left his daddy at home this week from Sealsby, Texas, a cowboy himself, Luke Gates. And a sweet girl from apparent North Little Rock. 59.6 points per quiz. Micaiah Beck, ladies and gentlemen. Moving up to the top two, 60.5 points per quiz. From Tomball, Texas, Bella Springer. <laughs> and my little buddy there from up there at Magnolia, Arkansas, 64.6. <laughs> Whoa, where did you come from? Corbin Hill. And the number one. Heavyweight champion of the Bible Quizzing Tournament. Undisputed, undeniable, undefeated heavyweight champion from Tomball, Texas. 86.8 points 
points per game. Olivia Bowen. Yes, sir. I'm talking about that's my Bible quiz at the beginning of the division. Well, here's the top four teams right here in fourth place. With a record of one and two, Lake Charles, two, fourth place. Third place in that tournament was a, well, it was a combination team from Magnolia, Arkansas, and Pasadena, Texas, with a record of three and two. Now, when I called their name out, it came out something different, so that's what I went with the rest of the day. Magnolia, Pasadena, it come out Macedonia somehow or another. So Macedonia, Arkansas, Texas got third place. And my buddy, old Kaplan, Micaiah, got a record of three and two for second place in the tournament, North Little Rock, Arkansas. Good job, y'all. And undefeated, undeniable heavyweight champions, sure enough, Tom Ball, Texas, 4-0. Now, it's just a beginner division, so if y'all want to see what the other's doing, y'all just going to have to show up. We're going to be in Sulphur, Louisiana at the end of this month, so y'all come on down and get involved. It is an amazing thing. So, hey, get involved in Bible quizzing. Get involved with the right spirit. We're not destroying other teams and dominating people. We are putting the Word of God into the hearts of children, and that's what it's all about. Bible quizzing works. It is the most effective tool, the most effective program that's available to help ensure that our children are pointed in the right direction and give them the best chance available to stick with the church and to be planted firmly in God's Word. Now, I know it works. Let me tell you a quick testimony, a personal experience that I had through our church. We started a Bible quizzing program somewhere around 2009-ish 2010, the church in Gina, and we had a, a good group of young people. A, a lot of people were on board studying. We had several probably, but I can tell you what we had. The reason I know that is because we had an evangelist come through, Reverend Kelly Holland, preached a revival service for us, and we got to counting the number of young people that were getting the Holy Ghost, and there wound up being 13 young people who got the Holy Ghost. Well, we got to looking at all 13 were in the Bible quizzing program. And we only had 13 in the Bible quizzing program. And all 13 got the Holy Ghost in that revival simply because they were spending daily time and effort putting the Word of God in their heart. And it made a difference. It, that seed, that Word cultivated in their heart. And they, they were just ready. And it worked. I'm telling you, it's real. Somewhere in that time period, I wrote a, a song and sang it at a kickoff tournament in Gina, and it was a parody to the country song, International Harvester. I don't even remember who sang it, but anyway, it was a country song and sang about an international harvester or something like that. So anyway, I kind of rewrote the words to it, and this is it. I kind of ripped it off of YouTube. It's somewhere out there floating around, but here's that song. And y'all see if y'all can catch us on the way out of here. All right, Rubber Bandit. Let's get them out of this rat hole and play that music while we on our way out. Let's go. All right, Boots. Come on here. Yep, that's right. Oh, I'm going to get in that Bible quiz. Yes, sir. I think I can memorize me some stuff. Let's see. In the beginning, God, uh, 
God created my, uh, what was it? Boots he created, was it? Uh, was it chicken? No, no, I think it was eggs. No, was it the chicken? Which one was it, Boots? Oh, you don't know. Come on. Stop! 